And may the glory of Christ shine forth as we look into his word this morning. Amen? Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Joshua, the 11th chapter. And as you do, I just want to welcome all of our guests. Thank you for being with us in worship this morning. I pray that the Lord would just minister and move over your heart that whatever cares and affairs of life may have come with you, that by the end of service you would just realize that if God is really in control of everything, we could just let him have his way. We don't have to pick all that up. That you would just leave here free to declare the goodness of God throughout creation. Amen. Amen. So before we actually jump into the text this morning, I wanted to bring us to just some context of where we are presently. We are, we have been walking through the book of Joshua through this series entitled Fuel by Faith. They are able to maintain and this conquest going into the promised land, not because of their sheer power or their physical might, not because they have it all figured out, but because Israel has decided that they will be dependent upon God. The fuel for their actions has been the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he is providing a land for his people, this land of promise. And as they are entering into the promised land, God is showing them just how faithful he is to his covenant promises and to his people, that he is not man, that he should lie. He keeps his promises. So as we have been marching through and we have arrived at chapters 9, 10, 11. In these latter chapters, we see that Joshua has, has conquered the, the southern region of Canaan, and now his focus will turn towards the north because of an imminent attack against Israel. And in the text, things begin to speed up. So what we're reading, it, it didn't just take place the day after they conquered the southern land, but it, it took place over a period of time in which they would continue to move across the land, conquering territory for themselves. In this map here, I know it's pretty small, but this, this, this region has been all of what we've been talking about lately, this southern region. And coming across the Jordan River, you see right here, this little bitty dot, that's, the, that's the, the city of Gilgal. That's the military base of all of Joshua's operations. And as he has been moving across, he goes over to, remember last week, Gibeon? Gibeon's over here, and he fought against Gibeon, and then he begins to chase them, Makeda, Eglon, Lachish, all of these lands. So Joshua begins to conquer the southern kingdom. And as soon as he finishes conquering the southern kingdom, now he will begin to make his way north. And we'll see in the text this morning that the king of Hazor, that's way up here. See, he didn't make that march overnight. But way up here in the north, 
we will see the events unfold in chapter 11 of Joshua. Amen? So Joshua, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 1. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. This is a lengthy text. If you are able to stand, please do. If not, no worries. Just follow along with us. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Atsha, and to the, king, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and then the Arabah, south of Kinneroth, and in the lower land, and in Nathdor, and on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all the kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow, at this time, I will give them, I will give over all of them slang to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Miram and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Misrithbath, Maine and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck his king with the sword. And for Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. In all the cities of those kings, in all their kings, Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone, that Joshua burned. And all the spoils of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder, but every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all the land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen, and the, and, and the lowland of the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel, and its lowland from Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir, as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and, and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts 
that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off, uh, cut off the Anakim from the hill country from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There were none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord has spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of this word. You may be seated. I'd just like to place a tag on the text before us this morning. Are you a friend or foe? Are you a friend or foe? Let us look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, thank you for your word, for the power that comes not from man's might, but from your mouth. And Father, by the power of your spirit, I ask that you will incline our hearts towards you this morning. Father, create the affections that we just don't have for you today. Father, make us to love you and, and to desire you and to be grateful for all that you have done and are doing in and through our lives. Father, make us to desire your word. Make, make your word taste like honey this morning, dear God, that we will desire it more than anything, more than what's going on later today. Make us desire you and your word, Lord, and incline our hearts. And Father, may you open up our eyes that we will see your word play out. Open up our eyes that we will understand this text and, and the implications that, that, you, that you have for us even now in 2016, oh God. Father, I pray that you will, by the power of your spirit, unite our hearts for our, our hearts are often divided between the cares of this world and spiritual things, Lord. Father, unite our hearts through Christ that we will solely and wholly want you right now and nothing else. Father, please satisfy us as only you can. For only you can satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. And that is to be known and to know. And that comes through you. Thank you, Father, for this hour, for this people, and for your word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, Moses is talking to the folks. He said, let me holler at y'all a second. Because we have received some stuff from God. And he has given us some instructions. And he has told us how we ought to live in relation to him. He's told us how we ought to live in relation with one another. And he's told us how to relate to the people that are in the land. And in him revealing himself to us, we have a decision to make. We must decide whether we will obey him or if we will not. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, Moses' words, he lays out, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, 
If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. If, if you hear these words, Israel, you have a decision to make. Will you be obedient to the instruction that God has given us as a people? Or will you choose to do your own thing? Will you choose to, to be led astray by those in the land uh, worshiping false gods, those in the land who have chosen to oppose the will of God? And what does Moses go on to say? Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God has made us a promise, Israel, and if you so choose to, to be faithful and trust in him, that promise will be realized and you will enjoy the land. But if you rebel against God's purposes and his promise, you will not enter this land, but you will perish. You will be cursed. You have a decision, a choice to make Israel. Those are Moses' words. In other words, are you a friend or foe? To be a friend of God means they would be companions of God. They would love God. They would walk in his ways. They, they, they would obey his commandments. That's what it means to be a friend. Submission to humility before. They would be friends, but, however, to be a foe of God means they would be a, opponents of God. They would love themselves. They would walk in their own ways, and they would obey their own hearts. Their decision would have consequences. See, to be a friend of God would lead to life and good blessings. Yet, to be a foe of God would lead to death and evil curses. See, the, the key to understanding a text like this, and as we walk through the 11th chapter of Joshua, the, the, the key to understanding this is related, in their relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's that, that to be God's people means obedience is really not optional. Through obedience or rebellion, a, a declaration of allegiance is being made. So whether I obey or not, 
My lips may say one thing, but my obedience is a declaration of allegiance. And when I am obeying God, I am saying that I am affiliated with him and his people. But when I'm disobedient to his word, I, I, I'm saying that I am opposed to him. This is a declaration. See, Moses was pointing Israel to a declaration, not from their lips, but a declaration from their lives. And in chapters 11 and 12 of Joshua, we see, we see a glorious example of obedience as Joshua's he, 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 he is heading into the promised land. And God gives them instruction on how they will be prosperous and how they will conquer the land. And he is leading Israel into this covenant friendship with God. Joshua's allegiance has been declared. But we also see in the text a tragic, tragic example of rebellion and destruction. As the foes of God are conquered, beloved, is this not the same choice that we have today? Are you a friend or foe? Has your life been marked by humble obedience or has it been marked by selfish ambition? To be a foe is to disregard anything that God has expressed as his desires. Obedience is, is living faith expressed in action. That's, that's what it is. To obey God means that I have a faith that's going to do something. I have a faith that's actually going to accomplish something. I, to obey God means I have a faith that's going to get up and do something for the Lord because I believe what he has declared and what he has said. Your obedience to God indicates whether you are a friend or a foe. The actions of your life. And just like Moses' declaration to Israel, your decision to obey or not will have eternal consequences. Those who obey God will inherit rest. Those who do not will receive wrath. Which are you? But praise God that he doesn't leave us to ourselves to answer such an important question. Looking at the text before us this morning, we, we see just what it means to be a friend or a foe. And as we walk through the text this morning, uh, ask yourself this simple question. Based upon what I see in God's word, am I a friend or a foe? See, throughout chapter 11, we see this theme of, of following. There are those who are following Jabin, the king of Hazor, and there are those who are following Joshua, the commander of Israel at this time. See, what's important here, in determining if you are a friend or a foe, notice a foe follows the world, but a friend follows the word. Pay attention here, because in verses 1 through Five, but also throughout the entire text, we see Jabin, he is assembling his forces. Jabin is 
it, it sees what's, what's about to happen, and instead of standing down, he says, I'm about, to, I'm, about to, I'm about to get my people together. I'm about to get my peoples, and we about to, go, we about to be about it, and we about to go to war, and we ain't not going to let Israel take over. We're going to stop Joshua. So what does he do? He begins to assemble his forces. As, as verse 4 says, and he not only gets a few folks, he doesn't just get his first cousins in them. He get everybody. He get everybody in the family. And, he, and this great horde that the text says is as numerous as the sand. This whole northern region, King Jabin is able to rally them together, to, to cause them to come against the Lord. I believe a lot of this, he believes that he has safety in numbers. That if he, if he can just get enough people on his side, that he will be able to conquer God. If he gets enough people to agree with what he uh, is thinking and what he wants to do, then maybe he can overthrow God's instructions. And notice in the text, this, this coalition is, is more fearsome than that of the southern coalition. Well, why do we say that? Well, one, not only because of the numbers, because of the military technology that they had. Notice in the text he says that they brought out everybody and also the horses and chariots. See, in the ancient Near East, uh, to have a, a horse and chariot on your side is like having tanks in battle against people who, who just have guns. So in coming out to battle, he brings everything. This is a fierce enemy. He is demonstrating his military might, his ability to rally people to what he needs. He has a whole lot of money. Because think about it, in order to even build chariots in these days, you had to have a whole lot of resources. So he has a whole lot of money to purchase horses, to, to put together the chariots, but not only that, he has a well-trained force in order to even operate these chariots, because as they would come around their foe, the archers would be able to shoot and pick off people in the midst of battle. They, it wasn't a random just, just shotgun spray. They were, they were strategic. They were trained. They were focused. This is a fearsome enemy coming against God's people. Massive resources are available. Do, do you notice that when it comes to God's people, sometimes it seems like the enemy has a whole lot of resources at their disposal. And like, like, like I, can, I can't compete with what's going on. They have all of these resources. They have all of this money. And it, 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 it appears, it looks that you can't match their resources. Well, beloved, we can't match their resources. We don't have the, the, the same things they do monetarily, but the way that we match their resources is the one in whom we follow him because he don't just have money, he make money. He don't just turn on the presses, he creates the presses. So even in your own life, understand when you're going up against that boss, when you're going against these philosophies, when you're going against the television, when you're going against the internet, you, you are not able to go against this yourself, but in the power of Christ, you are able to stand. That is the only way. But notice also, 
in doing all of this, Jabin seems to have influence over this entire region. Jabin, I, I believe, he is in a position of prominence. He's not specifically king of all of these countries, but the text says that he, he was like head over all these kingdoms. So all of these kingdoms were looking to Jabin and following him. They were following his lead. How will Jabin respond to this threat? That's how we will respond. What forces will Jabin put together? But those are the type of forces we will put together. Everything that Jabin is doing, all of the people in this region are coming alongside him to fight. But on the other side, we see how Joshua gets his orders. Joshua is not following people. He is following the word of God. So much so that the text points out in verses 12, 15, and 23 that he followed God's instructions to the T. As a matter of fact, what is first noted, he, he is able to follow godly people because the text says that he received instruction from Moses and carried out everything that Moses had commanded. You know, sometimes, most times in your life, that in order for you to accomplish anything spiritually, you need folk in your life who's going to tell you what God has to say and not what the world has to say. If you are going to follow God's word, you need someone who actually knows scripture, who's able to point you to scripture, not point you to what they say on TV, but to point you to what thus says the Lord. So if, if you're going to follow the word of God, you need some godly people in your life who want to point you to the word of God when you take your eyes off the word of God. So Joshua has followed the instruction of Moses, but specifically 15, in verse 15, it says, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the very word that God had gave Moses, Moses passed on to Joshua. Joshua was saying, I I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm not going to follow the people. I'm not going to follow the people that I'm leading, but I'm going to follow the one who told us to come this way in the first place. I'm going to follow the word of God. What does this mean for us? Beloved, this means the allegiance of those you follow can indicate whether you are a friend or a foe. You know the saying that you could tell a lot by a person by the folks that they hang out with. They, they, they used to say birds of a feather flock together. If you really want to know uh, how you look or what is portrayed, you ain't got to really look in the mirror. You just start looking at your contact list and say, well, who do I call the most? Uh, you begin to look at your calendar and say, who do I have lunch with the most? Where do I go the most? What do I do the most? Because that is going to reveal to you truly where your allegiances lie. What friend do you just love being around? What does your crew look like? Better yet, what does your crew talk about? 
What, what, what does your sphere of influence do with their time? It, is your crew the, the crew that, like, y'all just, y'all just back and forth? What, what is your crew preoccupied with? Because, beloved, what they're occupied with, we may want to front and we want to act like they don't, but those we hang with have a powerful influence over what we do, over what we say. But you know what? There's, there's another side. Because in, in, in an audience like this, even myself, we're tempted to be self-righteous and say, well, I ain't got no friends. <laughs> I just kind of do my own thing. Then what does that say about you? If you are a child of God, but you can't even build relationships, you're a child of God and you can't build friendships. Jesus has called us to build relationships and friends and friendships with one another. Jesus says they will know you by what? The love that you have for who? One another. Do you know in the text of Scripture, there is uh, over 40 one another's of love one another, care for one another. In the Scripture, it goes on, it encourages one another. Well, what does the text mean by one another? It means that you are in a relationship with someone other than yourself. So if you can't get the one another's together, then you can't be obedient to the Scriptures. This is what God is telling us today. In order to be obedient, I, be, I, I have to be mindful of who I am following in life. See, these foes, they, they follow Jabins of the world. You know the Jabins of the world. Those folks, they, they have magnetic personalities. They're outgoing and charismatic. And you just enjoy being in their presence. They, uh, they say things about you and, and, and that make you just light up. You see, these are, these are the people that you want to take pictures with when they come in town. Those people who are uh, popular and uh, they have this, this aura about them that draws people. But you know what? Satan uses people like that to, for his own purposes and his own schemes. And all of a sudden, uh, Satan is using uh, one of these people that's charismatic and, 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 and nice to look, look at, and they're, they're easy on the eyes and easy on the ears, and he begins to use what they're talking about to manipulate you, to lie to you, to make you go blind, deaf, and dumb when it comes to what God has to say. Think about it. Even this past week, the death of, of what is called a musical genius and icon. And, and in this death, think about the reaction. The whole world is giving. Gifted individual, absolutely. But yet, his sphere of influence is so powerful that his death is causing people who ain't ever met him to cry. He is so influential in our lives 
that for a couple days, he is the only news on the front page. So magnetic, so charismatic, that we are tempted to let down our guards when we come in contact with people like this. Think about music's influence on your life. There are songs in your rotation that has the power to uplift you or bring you down. Just, just think about the influence that this world has on you. Think about the vast resources just the music industry has at its disposal. You don't even have to be able to sing well. We'll just auto-tune that. We'll make you famous. Beloved, don't underestimate the power and the resources of the very ones that we are up against each and every day. Satan will use anybody to get the message that he wants for you into your eyes and into your ears. And that message is a message to distract you. And he wants to distract you from everything that God has given you to enjoy. And, and he wants to point out that which God said don't do. Who you're following will cause you to be a friend or a foe. Who's in your Twitter feed? Who's on your Snapchat feed? Who are you trying to figure out? Oh, their life is so wonderful. Their life is so much fun. I'm just doing this Christian life. It's so boring. I don't do anything. Well, where does it say that you had to be out doing foolish things in order to enjoy the glory and the majesty and the splendor of Jesus? It's all temporary. It's temporary. It's like, it's like that guy that's, that comes into the barbershop. Now, not with the tape. I ain't going to get any with the CDs. But he, but he opens his jacket and he got the gold chains. And you're like, man, that's sweet. How much? $10? Man, that's some nice gold. Let me get that. You buy it and you put it on for a moment. For a moment, you sweet. You, y'all, you step out and you let everyone see you. You, you know, y'all, you adjusting your collar, checking, oh, what time is it? But what happens? You forget to take it off when you go to bed. And you wake up the next morning, your whole neck green. Your wrist green. It ain't even gold no more. It's like silver. Satan is destroying us with temporary bling. Everything that we're consuming and grabbing at in life has temporary satisfaction. But Jesus says, I love you so much. I'm not going, I'm not going to fake you out. I'm not going to 
make you think you got something and take it back. I'm not, I'm not going to give you an aha moment. I'm going to give you something that is so stable, that is so sure, that is not going to wear out tomorrow. It's not going to wear out next week. It's not going to wear out next month. And it's not going to wear out next year. Because the love that Christ offers to his people is eternal. And he paid for it by his blood on Calvary. That's how much it costs. It costs them everything. Because who you follow will determine if you are a friend or foe. Well, pastor, you, you just talking crazy and it's not that deep. Well, that, that, that's, that, that's a, a word that you could say back. I won't say it's true. But this is why Jesus gives us simple scriptures. Like Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is saying that there is a way in life that will make you think that you have all the freedom in the world because there's a lot of space. And in that space, you can do your thing in that space. You don't have to worry about bumping into anyone else. You don't have to worry about offending anyone. You can just get buck wild in your space. You can just do you in your space. But Jesus is saying you're deceived into thinking that space actually will lead you to somewhere. And in the text, there's a goal, there's an end. See, if you just in space, you just in space. You ain't going nowhere. You just dance around. I'm doing my thing. You, but you're not going anywhere. You're walking wild, living for yourself. But Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. When you think about the narrow gate, you automatically think that there is a framework. There are restrictions put in place. But the restrictions aren't put into place to hold you down. The, the guidelines and guardrails, it's like, it's like merging yesterday, leaving thunder, all these cones and all this traffic. But they, they have set and blocked off certain roads and caused you to merge in order so you can get home. It's not arbitrary. It, as God has given us his word, he has given us cones and guidelines not to, not to uh, hold me back or hold me down, because he is shepherding you along the right road, and if you aren't in a single file line, you won't make it in. 
So Jesus is actually doing us a favor by giving us his word because he's saying, no, you can't get in the left turn lane. If you want to be with me in glory, you need to merge right here. But what we do, we roll down our window, we cussing out the police. No, I want it that way. I want it that way. I'm over there. My, I want to go over there. He's like, nope, this way. But Jesus, oh, hallelujah. Jesus is like this way, this way. You're like, no, I want to go over there. He's like, this way, this way. Just, just follow me. No, I want to go over there. Do you know if you want to behold my glory, if you want to enter into my rest, if you want to uh, possess your mansion in glory, if you want to be in the face of God crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you want to experience all of his goodness and all of his grace, then you got to keep going this way. The narrow gate is not restricting you from doing you. The narrow gate is saving your life. God desires to draw people to himself that will be obedient. Not just for themselves either, but that his name may be made known for all of creation. see in this text that yes we must pay attention in who you're following but there's another thing that we must take note of think back to the chapters that we've already covered and notice in the passage the people of Canaan hear about God's handiwork and instead of embracing the mighty king of Israel, they, they rise up in opposition. Beloved, in determining whether you are a friend or foe, recognize that a foe is defiant, but a friend is devoted. Jabin heard of the events that were taking place, yet he did not relent. He was defiant to God's word, Jabin hears the purposes of God and responds. He responds to God, God's purposes, by promoting his own. He responds to God's purposes by gathering like-minded people to fight with him. The people who's not going to tell him he's doing anything wrong, but people who say, go ahead, do your thing. They gather at Miram to take a, a fighting posture against God. They're going to defeat him. But yet, in this, Joshua is not swayed. He's not swayed by the military might, the numbers, or all that Jabin has brought against him, but he is devoted to God's purposes despite the outlook or the consequences. See, Joshua, too, he hears from God. See, but God tells him, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. But Joshua listens to God, and he receives encouragement. He receives a promise that calls him to further devotion 
in following God. Beloved, the continual posture of your heart towards the things of God can indicate whether you are a friend or foe. When it comes to the things of God, how, how do you respond? When it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the people of God, when it comes to just those two things, how does your heart respond? If you are a, a, a Christian, if you uh, claim to love Jesus, but you have no friends from church, that testifies that you don't respond nicely to the things of God. I'm not saying your crew has to be all church folk, but I'm saying at least somebody, you should like somebody you go to church with. You, somebody. I mean, you, at least Sister Fluellen, because she always cook. Somebody. But if you don't like anybody, else who claims to be a Christian, then the posture of your heart says you are a foe. Not if you struggle reading your word, but if you just can't stand reading your word. If you can't be bothered to read your word because you're so busy. What, what is the posture of your heart? Now, mind you, mind you, mind you, I say continual. But there will be seasons where we just wore out. There will be seasons where we're in the valley. But beloved, the text tells me that he's able to minister to me in the valley. Not only in the valley, in the presence of my enemies. He's able to prepare a table. He's able to supply all of my needs even when I'm at my lowest. So if, if I never have a desire and it's continual, ongoing, then you may not be a friend of God. I was thinking about the things I love to eat. I was like, man, I eat about anything. <laughs> I, I, I kind of got, got this rule, like, I'll try anything once. I, I, I try it. But over the years, and I, I know this may be blasphemy to some and, and to some others, it's a hallelujah, but I, my taste for, like, ham has, has like, depressed. It, it, you know, I, not, not because I, I, don't, I don't eat the, the swine, because you know, I eat some bacon, yeah, but, but just over time, my, my, my taste and my palate for ham has diminished. I, so I just don't eat it. Beloved, if, if, if you've never developed a taste for the things of God, can we say that we're connected to him? Because the text tells us that it says taste and see that, that he is good. See, see, that's a chef that knows his own cooking. He says taste, I know it's good already. And all you have to do is sit down and take them. I, I know I put my foot in it from the time past to now. All you have to do is just take a taste. Because it's good. 
So if you've never developed an appetite for the things and the people of God, you may be a foe and not a friend. Think about it. What, what, what do you do when you eat a meal and love it? What do you when you go to a restaurant and they give you great service and the meal is slamming? What do you do? You take a picture, you share it, and tell everybody. On every time, Facebook, Instagram, like on every timeline, this was the bomb. This was so good. Worth every dime. You got to go. When Jesus says, go ye therefore and make disciples, he's testifying that you've ate at his restaurant and you've experienced a dish that you can't get your feel from, that it was so slamming when Jesus came into your life that you're just going to have to get up and testify, come eat at the feet of Jesus. I can't help myself. I got to tell everybody that Jesus is slamming. Are you a friend or foe? Time is getting away from us. So you got a whole nother point. But I'm not going to rush you. This is the most important one. But considering what we've already heard today, God's call for us to obey has eternal implications. And we face so many temptations and struggles throughout our lives that if it were up to us, we would not be able to obey. We would not. We could not obey. Yet, in his divine mercy and infinite grace, the text tells us that grace has appeared. Grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. So because Jesus was born of a virgin and able to obey every command perfectly, both in thought and in deed, those who have been shaking their fists at God in rebellion come in contact with Jesus. He, they come in contact with Jesus. This, this, this right angle, he got everything together. And as I'm shaking my fist, Jesus says, you shake your fist, but if you come to me, I have done everything right I have lived a sinless life, and I have died that you may be forgiven, that when his death, burial, resurrection is applied to you, now your rebellious fist is covered up with the righteous life of Jesus 
So now I'm not naked shaking my fist at God, but the Father sees the blood of Jesus atoning for my disobedience. And now by the work of Christ and not my own, I'm able to stand before the presence of God and him declaring over me, well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. It's through Jesus. That's why he's such a big deal. He lived the life we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we encounter that coin of conversion, through repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus. And he is who he says he is. He did what he said he did. And he rules and reigns right now. That when I put my faith in that, all of my sins are forgiven. And my life is now as if I have obeyed in Christ Jesus. Don't leave here today thinking, why I, I just need to work harder. You can't. That's why they call Jesus the Savior. Ha. Because a Savior don't help folk who can help themselves. A Savior helps folk who can't help themselves. See, a Savior is someone who reaches down when you ain't got nowhere else to go. A Savior is someone who rescues you when you're dead in your sin and trespasses. See, a Savior doesn't just to fix you up, but Savior gives new life, new taste, and new appetites. That's why Jesus is called to save. Because he's able to save a wretch like me. Father God, thank you for your word, for your power, for this text, for this time, for this people. Father, you have perfect purposes, and I pray, Lord, we will yield to doing what we want. We would cling to the cross, for through your obedience on the cross, we can be made whole. Father, may we not leave this place wondering if we are a friend or foe. But Father, save us that we may be a friend of Jesus. Now, Father, seal your word upon the hearts of of the hearers. For your glory and name's sake, we pray. Amen.